So for those of you who have been listening to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah since day one, you probably know by now that I'm kind of a basic bro. Since I'm a writer and a podcaster and I live in California, I wear t-shirts all day, every day. Which is why I want to tell you about the basic collection from Highly Clutch t-shirts. Their basic tees are butter soft, have a bespoke fit, and come in a wide variety of colors. They're pre-laundered so your tee doesn't shrink after the first wash, and they feature a classic side seam for some added structure. These tees feel so good that a few times I've actually pulled one of them from the dirty laundry to wear it twice. So go to HighlyClutch.com and click on the Basics tab at the top of the page to shop the collection. Their three packs of tees come in different collections like the Bright 3 pack, the All Black collection, and my personal favorite, the Blues. Head to HighlyClutch.com to shop the Basics collection. And now, back to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage podcast. Welcome back to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage podcast, a very special mid-season three all-voicemail slash DM edition of the podcast. For those who are new to the show, every week on Monday mornings I break down a new episode of the acclaimed HBO dramedy Entourage, usually with a guest, but I'm trying this solo today. Taking a quick departure in between seasons 3A and 3B to take some of your questions I asked for them, and you guys fucking delivered. Oh my god. I'd love to say that the credit goes entirely to me for coming up with this idea, but I wanted to give a special shout-out to listener Nadim. He's based in Sydney, Australia, I think. Nadim, that's right. Yeah, he sent me a voice memo probably three weeks ago, and I thought it was one of the coolest things ever. It was basically like he left me a voice message. And it was really cool hearing you guys call in and ask questions, hearing the voices of the people I'd been speaking to for the past six months. Gotta give a shout out to Nadim. I'm looking forward to hopefully doing this again if this all goes well. Longtime listeners of the pod will remember that I tried to review an episode solo. It was episode two of the podcast. Season one, episode two, the review didn't go so hot. So I'm trying this again. Hopefully it goes better. Truth be told, the original plan for the podcast was that I was going to have a guest on every other week. But this became so popular so quickly and... In an effort to scale it, we decided to have a guest on every single episode, which I think has worked for the best. But you got just me today, JR. I'm in San Francisco. I'm in my studio. We got 12 or 13 questions we're going to get to today. I tried to get to as many voice memos as I could. Thank you again to everyone that submitted them. Thank you to everyone that's been following and listening along with me. We will be back on Monday with the first episode of Season 3B. I'm just going to call it Episode 13 of Season 3 to keep it easy. Less than 30, Ari's out, Amanda Daniels is in, and we have a fantastic guest lined up. So without further ado, let's dive into the voice memos. Got a good array of questions. As mentioned, I'll only be identifying people by first names and not giving out any Instagram handles. A few of you just threw your Instagram handles out in your questions, so hope you don't mind that those are in there. The first question we have is from Jules. Do you think it was right for Vince to fire Amanda? Do you... Do you also think that she could have done stuff for Vince that Ari couldn't have? Or, I mean, what do you think? And to piggyback more of that, um, do you also think that they should have had sex? I feel like them having sex definitely changed the dynamic of the two together. I feel like it kind of ruined their relationship as far as a uh, an agent and, um, and a client. I mean, there's 
you're too involved at that point. You know what I mean? It, it gets too, um, it gets emotions, and you know maybe she didn't want Vince to go off to Colombia for six months to film Medellin. So thanks a lot, man. Enjoy the podcast. All right. So great question from Jules. Thank you. Obviously, driving in his car while he's asking me questions and what were you moving like stones or something like that around in your trunk while you were doing it's all good bro but i appreciate the question this is very pertinent to uh season 3b which we have coming up amanda daniels vince's new uh agent who replaces ari after ari after vince fires ari for mishandling the ramones project and the bob ryan situation quick little recap for what she does in season 3b we'll obviously get into it as we do episode by episode but she pushes vince to do an adaptation of an edith wharton novel as his next movie but she gets very upset when vince puts it on hold because ari reintroduces the median script to him amanda and ari feud during this time they both want vince as a client amanda and vince's professional relationship turns into a short romance however the two formally part ways when vince wrongfully blames her as the reason he did not land the lead role in median Later on in the show, she becomes more of a villain, but in the context of what I think you're asking, which is the time period that she was Vince's agent, she kind of struck me as more of like a boutique agent. Much like how Ari was to the boys in season two, you know, small shop in the valley, you had to walk up the stairs as the elevator was broken. She just seemed like maybe only a step or two above that. And by mid-season three, Vince is the biggest movie star in the world. So what Amanda was to me was like that transition girlfriend. She's the one that you date for like three to six months while you're trying to get over your ex before ultimately deciding if you want to go back to your ex or not. Believe me, I've had a few of these. And I always, in retrospect, have felt terrible for those girls that I put that through because I never really gave them a real chance. And it's very clear that Vinny never really gives her a real chance. I also think Amanda's like downfall is that she has a bit of a temper and she uses like her female wiles on the boys to convince them to do this Edith Wharton novel, which they never were really interested in in the first place. She's just good at selling. Um, and I never thought Ari was like that. Ari, while he had a temper and while he was passionate about finding the right projects for Vince, we'll talk later on in this episode about, you know, did the boys make the right decisions, you know, based upon Ari's advice? And he always kind of stepped back when he had to and inter- intervened when he had to. So I think my ultimate answer is that it doesn't really matter if Vince screwed things up. I, I, I don't think he would have gone anywhere near as high as he did if he'd stuck with her. She would have had him doing romance novels, period pieces, stuff that she probably wanted to see him in as opposed to stuff that was better for his career. But I am looking forward to diving in to uh, the Amanda Daniels character and talking a little bit more about Carla Giugino, who is just, in my opinion, one of the most striking older female figures in the show. Great question, Jules. Our next question comes from Alex, and using context clues, aka the sound of Alex's voice, I believe he dialed in from across the pond. So, big thanks to all my listeners overseas, in the UK, in Australia. You guys are so passionate. You reach out to me all the time. I love hearing that the podcast is going worldwide, going global. Alex had a great question. It's going to give you a little bit more insight into the background of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. Hey, man. So, I got a question for the pod. Um, out of all the episodes you have viewed so far, what would you say has been your favorite? And I look forward to hearing your response. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Great question, Alex. We've done 36 or 37 episodes of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah so far. 
In my opinion, they're all my babies, and each one's better than the last. My favorite has to be the one that I did with Ben Schwartz from Parts and Recreation. I'm just kidding. Can you believe? Could you believe that was actually the answer? That was so forced and awkward and kind of fun, but uh, I feel bad <laughs> for the poor guy. Totally blindsided him with entourage questions. Uh, my real answer is uh, anything with the Chad Goes Deep guys. So what happened was uh, when I partnered with Bro Bible at the end of season one, they hooked me up with the Chad Goes Deep guys early in season two for My Maserati Does 185, the second episode of season two. We did the episode over Skype, so it was a little awkward, but it was a lot of fun. And what I really liked about Chad and JT is they get it. They get the point of the show. They get the like love for Entourage. They they kind of played in the mud a little bit. And the, it was so much fun that I had to have them back. So honestly, my favorite episode was when they came over uh, to my place last season for One Day in the Valley. Uh, obviously one of the most iconic episodes of Entourage. And in person, Chad and JT did not disappoint. They're incredibly funny. Their stock is absolutely rocketing. They were on Howard Stern. They were just on Ellen. I doubt I'll be able to get them back on now that they've pretty much surpassed something as little as the Entourage podcast. And then I, I gotta say, uh, a, a runner-up for me is definitely uh, the first episode of season two, The Boys Are Back in Town. Chris Stefano is like one of my comedy idols, and I just kind of like lobbed a Hail Mary to him, and... He, he was down. We like It was really random. We recorded on like a Tuesday night. He was Skyping while on his couch, on his phone. And it was just like having a conversation with one of my favorite comedians, which was, was really cool. If, if anything, I got to have a really fun, random conversation with one of my comedy idols about a TV show that I love. And I'm glad that everyone got to listen and enjoy it as well. So the next two questions come from Terry. Terry left me five voice memos. Terry, I love the hustle. I love the passion. I'm not going to play all five in a row. I decided two of the questions that you asked were, I think, pretty pertinent and pretty interesting ones for the pod. So maybe I'll leave those next three to the next time I do this. So we're going to go back to back Terry questions here. The first one, I think, is an interesting one about Vince's career. What up, JR? <clears throat> Terry, just wanted to... Uh, another point I wanted to make was what if the boys had listened to Ari every suggestion? You know, what if they had made Matterhorn or what if they had made that uh, the surfing movie with Harvey rather than do Aquaman? Like, would Vince still be a mega superstar or would he be, you know, where would he be now? If where would he be going into whatever season, <laughs> whatever season you're on in the uh, recap? This is a really good question, Terry, and I appreciate you bringing this up because I think it's worth discussing kind of as a bigger conversation around the Ari Gold character. I honestly believe that Ari would not have become the most powerful agent in Hollywood if it weren't for Vince. So if you remember, as I mentioned earlier, he goes from a boutique agency in season two to the Bid Miller Gold agency in season three. As you mentioned, in season one, he's pressuring the boys to make Matterhorn. If Vince had made Matterhorn, then he wouldn't have made Tween's Boulevard. If he didn't make Tween's Boulevard, and it hadn't become a critical darling that had gotten into Sundance, then James Cameron would have never come out and made him an offer to play Aquaman. Hey, what's up? Vinny, say hello to James Cameron. Call me Jim, Vince. <clears throat> okay, Jim. Uh, what's, what's happening? I can only stay for a bit of the film, but I've got to tell you, it was all I needed to see. How'd you like to come play Aquaman for me? Uh, sure, I mean, I'm 
I can do that for you. Fantastic. Let's get together next week and talk about it. Okay, great. Okay, Vince, I'll see you then. Looking forward to it. Talk to you later. Bye. So I think to answer your question, if this was a real look at a celebrity and we had watched Vincent Chase make the decisions that his agent was pressuring him to make, he would have flamed out much quicker. That whole ridiculous, you know, crash and burn, drug addict, get sucker punched by Eminem at the end of season seven, that probably would have happened in like season three or four because Vince would have peaked. He would have done Matterhorn, Disney World meets Die Hard. He would have done the surfing movie, and then he probably would have been stuck in action franchises for the rest of his career. His brother's taking on exceedingly more debt with all the plastic surgery that he's having. Turtle, sensing that Vince's career is going down the tube, has to make moves earlier, so maybe starts investing in, like, a bar, which is one of the worst investments you can make. And by season four, we just have Vince doing small theaters back in New York off-Broadway. All because he did listen to the advice of his agent, Ari Gold. Okay, Terry's second question is about Johnny Drama. Every week we do our favorite Johnny Drama moments. He's one of the best characters in television history, so always love talking about drama. Take it away, Terry. What is the greatest Johnny Drama cameo? My my personal favorite is when he uh, explains how he's <laughs> he, he skipped the Brothers McMullen um, audition so he could spend a three-episode arc sexually harassing Tori Spellman which I thought was hilarious. Spelling. I don't know what the fuck that girl's name is. Honestly, I don't know her name either. I only know her from Scary Movie 2. I'm just that age where I never watched 90210. Johnny Drama's career, I think it spans something like 30 years, which is why his age being such a fluid number is so humorous. I think I have, okay, I think I have three. I'm going to try to keep this as tight as possible. So we talked about this in episode, I don't remember what episode in season two this was, but Crash and Burn with Meredith Haggerty. We talked about how the boys are sitting around on the couch with Paul Haddis and drama talks about his role as a bulimic pedophile in a 1994 episode of The Commish. So you shoot the first half now, before Aquaman 2 while he's skinny. Shoot the second half after he raps when Vince piles on the pasta. Like the Nero and Raging Bull? Like Clooney and Siriana. Or Johnny Chase in the commish when I played that bulimic pedophile. Do you see that one, Paul? No. Just awesome. Hilarious. Why would the Academy Award winning writer and director Paul Haddis have seen his 1994 episode of the commish? I guess my runners up are also, he mentions his uh, spot that he did on Blue, and the boys mistakenly think that it's NYPD Blue, but he was actually on Pacific Blue as a recurring guest star. And then later on in the show, I don't remember what episode this is, but he talks about how in an episode of Seventh Heaven, he plays a high school swimmer with alopecia, which doesn't track whatsoever because Seventh Heaven's heyday was like 2001. That episode probably aired six or seven years later. So how old was Johnny Drama playing this high school kid? I love the idea of Johnny Drama just floating through Hollywood for two and a half decades as this mid-20s to mid-50-year-old man in all these famous shows. It's a great little writing touch that Dud Ellen and staff added during the show. Mr. Hickey, huge fan. I'm uh, Fake Reg Dunlop. My question for you is, and I'm going to try to contemporize this, as I know you do, sometimes you like to examine, uh, you know, how some of that stuff goes down, that went down on the show and how it would go down now. So I'm going to contemporize my question as best I can. So my question for you is, in the Entourage universe, 
life partner shag banish to a desert island let me know bro love it ah yes our first fuck marry kill i was waiting for one of these to show up i don't get to talk about this in as much detail especially with guests on because you never know about a guest's temperament you also never know who's listening so i feel like i'm in a safe space here so i will respectfully answer this question with a bunch of options for each one so as Fate Reg Dunlop put it, his Instagram handle, uh, life partner shad or banished to a desert island. So for life partner, you got three options. You got Mrs. Ari, who's kind of the ideal quintessential housewife throughout the run of the show, minus the last half of a season. You have Sloane, who's kind of the idealized, you know, male fantasy girl, shows up when she needs to be there, looks amazing in every scene and wants to have threesomes no attached with her friends. And then I'm, uh, here's my dark horse, and here's who I'm going to lean towards. Dana Gordon as a life partner. Now, her marriage situation kind of changes throughout the show. I think at the beginning she starts off married, then she's divorced, and then when she's with Ari, she's never been married or something like that. But here's why I like Dana Gordon as a life partner. Unlike Mrs. Ari, she's a career girl. She's got independent income. Me and Dana can travel the world together, and I also just kind of have a thing for older women. Here's a little peek behind the curtain at JR's life. But my wife is actually five years older than me, which I highly recommend to anybody who's out there who's single and looking to settle down. Date someone four or five years older than you so you can skip that whole part where they're trying to figure out what's going on with their lives. What do I want to be? What do I want to do? Dana Gordon knows what she wants to be. She wants to be the head of a movie studio, and she wants me to come along for that ride with her. So Dana Gordon's my, uh, my Mary or a life partner, as he puts it, banished to a desert island. I think there's really, well, maybe there's two options, but I think there's only one that kind of rises to the top, bubbles to the surface, if you will, and that's Ashley. E's on-a-den, off-a-den girlfriend in season six, I believe it is. She's possessive, she's jealous, she looks at his phone all the time. Physically, she's not my type, she belongs in the petite section. I don't think you were meant to enjoy her presence on the show, and she did a great job. So it's either her or Sasha Gray. Yeah, it'd be great to fuck a porn star or be married to a porn star, but would it be great to be married to a porn star? I don't know. Vince tries it. He fails. I didn't enjoy the plot. I'm sure a lot of people agree with me. So she's also who I would banish to a desert island. And then Shad, as he so delicately put it. Couple contenders here. I talked about her at the top of the show, but again, I got a thing for older women and Amanda Daniels, season 3B, she's throwing 90 on the black on the MILF stale, so I kind of like her for Shad Partner. Obviously Sloan, because she's just gorgeous, but she's kind of like an angel on the show. E kind of dicks her around like a lot, falls in love with her friend during a threesome, fucks off to Columbia to shoot a movie, moves his stuff in, moves his stuff out proposes, then they're broken up. It's just kind of a mess, and I more feel bad for her than anything else. My Dark Horse candidate for this is one you probably didn't think of, but I'm going to go with Brittany, Eric's assistant at Maury's agency, played by the beautiful Kate Mara. I'm only suggesting her because the weekend of my wedding, Kate Mara was staying at the same hotel, and we literally sat next to her at the pool, and she is just as attractive, if not more beautiful in person. It also helps that she's the daughter of a billionaire NFL franchise owner. Okay, this next question from Tim will probably shine a light on something you guys weren't aware about. JR, bro, it's Timmy from Worcester. 
Listen, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's another podcast out there about entourage. Podtourage. I think it's Emily and um like Jim or something like that. Anyways, they clapped at you. I forget what episode it is, but they said that Oh yeah, oh yeah is in the pocket of big podtourage, so the way I look at it, you need to respond to the claims or take the L. So it's on you now. Got one's been thrown down, bruh. Timmy, you might be my favorite oh yeah, oh yeah listener. Not just for your question, which I'll address in a second here, but Timmy not only DM'd me this question, he went on iTunes, wrote me a five-star review, and also went to highlyclutch.com and bought some fucking t-shirts. That is a full 360 podcast fan. Timmy, you got a fan in me for life. Thank you for the question. This is funny. Um, Very early on in the show's run, someone sent me a link to this podtourage, which was very, very similar to my show. It's a weekly rewatch. Again, like Tim said, it's done by, I think, two comedians on the East Coast. That's all I know about it. Now, there's a reason you haven't heard me mention podtourage on this podcast. And I'm going to quote Tywin Lannister when I say this. A lion doesn't concern itself with the opinion of sheep. Timmy, there's a reason... They're talking about, oh yeah, oh yeah, on their show, and not the other way around. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not here to start some internet beef. I'm more jealous that they have two people on their show, because if you guys didn't realize this, this is all me. I do all of this. I do the recording, I do the editing, I do the producing, I do the promoting, I do the booking of guests. This is a second job of mine. So, the way that I see it, the internet is like a giant ocean, and if they want to try to claim Entourage Rewatch podcasts as their own, that's great. I'll be here in my corner churning out the best Entourage content that I can week after week. Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah is brought to you by the newly released Basics Collection from Highly Clutch T-Shirts. Guys, these are some of the absolute best T-Shirts on the planet, and the best part is that they're much more affordable than the competition. You can purchase the individual t-shirts for $15.99, but that'd be silly because you can buy three packs and five packs of different colors for a whole lot cheaper. I'm personally a fan of their heathered hoodie collection. Living in Northern California, the weather changes on you in an instant. If the city of San Francisco were to have a statue made for it, it would be of a guy running home because he forgot to grab his hoodie. They have a bunch of these super lightweight and super versatile hoodies in a wide array of colors from bay blue to cardinal red. You're definitely going to want to pick up a few of these. I love them, and you will too. Go to HighlyClutch.com and click on the Basics tab at the top of the page to shop the collection. And now, back to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage podcast. Hi, my name is TJ. I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I just have a entourage kind of fact for you. Uh, the actor that was playing Saigon, the hip-hop artist Saigon and Good Morning Saigon, that was actually supposed to be Young Jeezy. Uh, Scott Venner, the music director, actually said this on a podcast a couple years ago with uh, It's The Real. It was actually supposed to be Young Jeezy playing the Saigon role. And that was before Young Jeezy was a, a famous rapper at that time. But uh, Def Jam Record, Young Jeezy's record company, actually didn't want him to take the part because they said, quote-unquote, he was unreliable and kind of did his own thing. So they went with uh, another person that turned out to be the hip-hop artist, Saigon, that had a little buzz at the time. That's uh, your entourage uh, fact that probably a lot of people did not know if there's one thing that i've learned from doing this podcast it's that entourage fans are not only passionate they're extremely knowledgeable 
you may remember that I took a small break in between seasons one and two. It was for two reasons. One, I went on my honeymoon. But second, I had to rewatch Entourage. The way the show was conceptualized was I was sitting on my couch in December. My wife, fiance at the time, was out of town for like two weeks. And I decided to start rewatching Entourage. I had just completed doing a dating podcast for a website called postgradproblems.com. So I was looking for a new podcast endeavor. And so I pitched this idea to Brandon, my first guest on the show and the founder of Bro Bible. I actually just had him on for the uh, season three finale. At the time, I hadn't watched Entourage in like a year or two, hence why I was doing the rewatch and kind of why I was doing the podcast. Suffice to say, I was super outgunned and outknowledged in season one. I got well actually in my DMs and in my Twitter comments all fucking day. Well, actually, Ari said this. Well, actually, the car he's driving is this. I know it sounds like I'm annoyed, and I'm not. It just shows that one guy with a computer will never be more knowledgeable than the entire collective power of the internet. But I really appreciate this note from TJ because it's something I wasn't aware of. I'm sure a lot of Entourage fans weren't aware of. And I think it's something super interesting. Scott Venner, we bring him up all the time, music supervisor for both Entourage, How to Make It in America, and currently Ballers. He kind of changed music through this show. I did not know that Young Jeezy, or as he's now known as Jeezy, was supposed to be the Sidon role. It's interesting. The Sidon's career went off and did nothing after this. If you haven't listened to the episode I did with Complex editor Fraser Tharp, we talked in depth about Sidon's career. He offers some really good insight into hip-hop beefs that he was in. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Young Jeezy's career took off in 2006, one year after the Sidon episodes would have aired. He had songs like You Know What It Is, Put On, and famously, I most remember him for a song in 2008 that he teamed up with Nas on called My President. Now, I was living in Chicago in 2008. I was a sophomore at DePaul University, and I was waiting tables at a restaurant called Maggiano's Little Italy. At the time, Senator Barack Obama was running for the presidential nomination. He got it. He won. And Chicago went fucking crazy. I remember distinctly walking from Maggiano's back to my dorm or whatever I was living in in DePaul and just hearing the song My President by Young Jeezy being blasted out of every car and every window on campus. So I have this distinct memory of Young Jeezy from a time when there was major change going on in America. Yo, president is black, yeah. my Lambo's blue, blue. and I be goddamn if my ribs ain't so mama ain't at home, dad's still in jail, trying to make a play, anybody see this? Okay, this next question is from Link, and it's just a straight up the middle entourage casting question. With the classic show like this, it's hard to imagine anyone else playing your favorite characters like Ari or Drama. Was there any other actors that almost got their roles? You know, you hear about this a lot in Hollywood when discussing major motion pictures, especially after the fact. You'll read how famously... Will Smith was almost cast as Neo from The Matrix. Jim Carrey was almost Edward Scissorhands. But you don't hear about it as much in television, especially in HBO, because HBO keeps things pretty under wraps. And TV actors don't want 
you to know that they almost got a role. Because for a lot of TV actors, it doesn't work out. What I do recommend you do, if you haven't yet, is read Fraser Tharp's oral history of the Entourage pilot, which he dropped in July on Complex.com. I'll include a link in the show notes for today's episode. He goes through with Dud Allen and with some of the producers of the show, some of the casting procedures, some of the audition process. Here's what I found doing what limited research I can So for Ari Gold, the role of Ari Gold was initially conceived as Dud Ellen's former agent, Jeff Jacobs. But then when he went to the initial pitch meeting with Mark Wahlberg and he met Mark Wahlberg's agent, Ari Emanuel, he had never really seen anybody in the business talk like Ari Emanuel did. So he said, this guy is the character. He has to be on the show. And it was Ari Emanuel who was adamant that Jeremy Piven play the part. He even called up HBO from a plane in China to ensure the network would work out a deal with Jeremy Piven, saying that Jeremy Piven plays me or take my name off the show. So it would seem to me that Jeremy Piven as Ari Gold was always the number one choice. The only other little tidbit of information that I could glean from interviews with Dud Ellen is that when Dud Ellen first wrote the script for the pilot, he actually had his heart set on casting Vince Vaughn as the main role. It sounds crazy now because he's now like the star of Wedding Crashers and Dodgeball and stuff like that. But at the time, he was like this young hotshot kid who had just broken onto the scene with Swingers. He obviously was a lot younger. And they actually first started writing it with uh, Vince Vaughn in mind, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, As mentioned, read that piece that Frazier wrote for Complex. It seems, especially for the Ian drama parts, that Tevin Connolly and Tevin Dillon were pretty baked in as the first choices by both the studio and Dud Ellen. What's up, JR? This is Tom, huge fan of Entourage, huge fan of the pod. Uh, Actually pretty pissed that you came up with this idea and did it before me. Props to you for coming up with it and doing an awesome job with it. Here's my question. Uh, Being that Entourage is, as you mentioned a number of times, one of the best HBO dramedies of all time, I was thinking back to one of my other favorite HBO dramas, Sopranos, and wondering which character from Entourage, would you like to see, which character's story would you like to see told through that character attending therapy, just like Tony Soprano does in that show? First off, Tom, thank you for the kind words. If you're mad at me for coming up with this idea, I hope you're equally as mad with that other podcast who came up with the exact same idea at the exact same time. Great question. Sopranos is another one of my favorite TV shows. I think it is my favorite television show of all time. I hope that doesn't make anybody question my entourage expertise. But before I answer this, I do want to recommend a podcast for all the Sopranos fans out there. It's called No Fucking ZD. Uh, It's run and hosted by a guy named Brendan and another guy whose name is escaping me. I gotta have those guys on to do an episode of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. It's one of the better Sopranos rewatch podcasts out there. There are a lot, and that's why I was so surprised to find out that there weren't any for Entourage. All Sopranos fans give that a listen. Now, to answer your question, I think there's really only one answer. Johnny Drama. We see him go through a series of like self-reflective moments when he's like, I don't know to anger management. When he goes and he gets his weed card, he admits to suffering from panic attacks. Just his colorful history in Hollywood, plus all the failure that he's experienced at the hands of the Hollywood machine, would make for probably a fantastic like 22-minute dramedy on like FX or something like that. The Johnny Drama Sessions. 12 episodes, sign me up right now. Obviously, Ari Gold's a good option too, but we do see him in therapy. Granted, it's marriage counseling. 
towards the end, it becomes like just like a springboard for him to do kind of bits in. But uh, I think it's drama. What if I had said turtle? What up, JR? Long time listener, first time DMer. Uh, it's your boy Drama out of LA. Uh, shouts from the crew. You know who you are. Uh, all my buddies used to call me Drama back in college based on all the ridiculous shit I used to say. Uh, I don't see why. Fuck them. But it got me thinking. When you think Entourage, you think of very quotable quotes. What's the first quote that comes to your mind when you think Entourage? For me, it's Johnny Drama saying, I am the fucking game, pal. Thanks, JR. Love the pod. Peace. Drama, thanks for calling in. Great question. Every week we talked about our favorite quotes from that week's episode. But when I think of Entourage as a show as a whole, and I think of one quote that stands out for me as just being kind of a perfect comedic quote, there's only one that comes to mind. We haven't done this episode yet, but it's from season four, episode seven, The Day Fuckers. In the middle of kind of a slog of a season where they're trying to get Medean off the ground and it's just kind of like bogs down the plot. Billy Walsh has become kind of a pain in the ass. The boys take like a much needed departure to go out and have some daytime sex with some randos. And Johnny Drama is talking about his ex-girlfriend, Jess Mancini. I'm not searching out a girl just to fuck her. Why not? Because it's mean. No, 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 no. Mean is when I made Jess Mancini ride her bike home after I ass-fucked her. <laughs> the quote is awful, but it's hilarious. And what I think I like the most about it is E slash Kevin Connolly's reaction is so genuinely, like, horrified and hysterical at the same time that it's really a true bros being bros moment. Those moments of male humor and friendship that we get every week on the show. We're rounding the curve here. Two questions left. This last question comes from Tiger. Tiger dials in from London. The best part of this voicemail is you can literally hear bells in the background. Was that Big Ben or something? I don't know. I think it's so cool that some of you guys are dialing in from all over the world. Let's listen to the question. Yo, love the podcast. Big love from London. Um, listen every week. It's great. My question is, what's your favorite all-time entourage moment? Not talking about episode because everyone's got favorite episodes. Uh, mine is 100% at the end of Return to Queens Boulevard, last episode, season five, where Ari turns up uh, to the newly christened dramas and puts Vince back on top with a phone call, mainly because he's been spending all day at Gus Van Sant's office. And basically as a series, it like we show that Vince isn't infallible and he has to, he has to fail at some point, but he always comes back. Uh, yeah, also, if you ever want a guest on the show, I'm your man. If you're stuck, in, stuck for anyone, I've seen every single episode a thousand times. Cool. Big love. Bye. Tiger, you're not the first person to offer themselves up as a guest, and you will not be the last. This is a great question. There are so many iconic moments across Entourage's eight seasons. My moment has already happened in the run of this podcast, and it's just a moment that stands out personally to me. Yes, Return to Queens Boulevard is an all-time episode. It's a Mount Rushmore episode, the end with Martin Scorsese. I can't get enough of it, and it's one of the most rewatchable episodes of Entourage. But for me, it has to go back to my favorite episode of Entourage of all time, and that is episode two of season two, My Maserati Does 185. And the moment that I'm thinking about is the moment where E goes over to his girlfriend Kristen's apartment to confess, and he finds out that she's been cheating on him, and he has his mic drop moment. <laughs> Just so you know, I didn't come over here to accuse you of anything. I came over here to confess. I would have rather have been with you, but last night I got drunk and I fucked a perfect 10 model. And uh, I fucked her again this morning. See you later. This moment resonated with me so hard because 
I feel like we've all been there. We've dated someone shitty. Someone's been shitty to us. We've been cheated on. We've been lied to. And he gets to walk into that apartment with the ultimate trump card. This complete nonsensical fantasy where he went to a beach party and fucked a perfect 10 model. This sets up a hot street for E that probably doesn't stop for the next two and a half seasons. In this season, you know, he finds the Aquaman script. He starts hooking up with Sloan. He kind of pulls Vince kicking and screaming through all the Mandy Moore bullshit at the end of season two. He becomes a man in this moment. He goes from pizza boy to pizza man as he walks out of Kristen's apartment. It also ended the terrible, like, clingy girlfriend manipulative mind game thing that Kristen was doing that we hated seeing him go through. Now, obviously the character and his relationship problems start to wear on you later on in the show, but this was this was the moment that I'll always remember, and it's the moment that I always look back on as being like, man, I wish I'd had that moment with like my college girlfriend who cheated on me, or just anyone that had ever been shitty to me. So that's mine. It's might It might not be as iconic, but it's a little bit more sentimental. As you know, every week we talk about our favorite moments from the episodes, because this show is just so good, there are too many moments to count. Okay, our last audio memo comes from a very familiar voice. If you've been listening to the podcast from day one, I've had him on a few times now. Good friend of mine, Kyle Banduho, take it away. Hey, JR. Kyle Banduho here. First time, long time. Uh, Love what you're doing at Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. Entourage question for you. Of the main cast, Vince aside, whose life would you rather have throughout the entirety of the series and beyond? So everything we've seen from season one to the end of the Entourage movie and beyond. So that's Turtle, Drama, E, and Ari. Now, I'd assume that the drama, despite winning Golden Globe of the Entourage movie, is automatically out. But the other three, and that takes in job, finances, female companionship. Who would you rather have? Let me know your thoughts. I'll hang up and listen. In true fashion, Kyle Banduho treated this as a sports talk radio program. If you haven't yet, go listen to his podcast, Big Screen Sports Pod. It's not unlike the format of this. Every week he breaks down a new sports movie and talks about the authenticity of the sports played in that movie. I was lucky enough to be the guest on the pilot episode where we broke down Remember the Titans. Since then, however, he's had incredible guests on, ESPN personalities, analysts, ex-athletes, and even the actors who played people in the movies. If you haven't heard his little bid lead episode yet, he had the actor Luke Edwards who plays the kid Billy Haywood who inherits the uh, Minnesota Twins. It's incredible. He's done a great job and I'm a big fan of the show, so go check that out. Great question, Kyle, and super appropriate as this is the last question of today's episode. Whose career would I like to have when the show ends? So let's quickly recap where everyone is. Now, Kyle loves to include the movie in the, like, canon of Entourage, but for the sake of this, I am not going to include the movie. Sorry, Kyle. Just focusing on the end of Season 8. So brief recap as to where the Entourage is at the end of the show. And this is already giving me, like, pre-PTSD from when we have to uh, break this down. So Ian and Sloane are not together at the end of the show. But Sloane is pregnant. She's moving back east, and E is packing his bads to go follow her. Drama's show, Johnny Bananas, has been picked up for a season, and then it's canceled, and then he decides to go on strike in solidarity with Andrew Dice Clay. Then he maybe gets a minor movie made at the Hallmark Channel. So needless to say, his career is up in the air. Ari almost gets a divorce, turns down the studio job, quits the Miller Gold Agency, and then moves to Florence with Mrs. Ari, but then in a post credit scene, accepts to be the CEO of the studio. 
question mark. And then there's Turtle. Turtle, at the end of the show, is a multi-million dollar owner of a tequila company, and he's single. And at that point, he has dated and or slept with Jamie, the college co-ed, and Alex. He's also lost a shit ton of weight and has every major MLB, NBA, and NFL star in his phone. I think the answer is pretty obvious there, Crash. Uh, I'm going to go with Turtle. Dud Allen, the trader of the show, has said that he wanted Turtle to have the biggest blow-up, as the kids say, over the course of the show. Vince always kind of stays the same. Obviously, he had that unfortunate incident in in Season 7, but uh, it's Turtle who has the biggest art and is set up for the most success uh, when the show ends. So, if anything, I'd want to be Turtle. Maybe not his height, but all of his success, definitely. Yeah, I work with Vince a lot, you know, take care of whatever he needs. Like a gopher? <laughs> no, sweetheart. It's just more like a manager. Why, you you looking for representation? Guys, this has been so much fun doing this call-in episode of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. I'm definitely going to do this again in the future. I got a little personal in some of the questions. I hope this gave you a little bit more insight into your weekly Entourage podcast host. If you have any other questions you want to throw my way, send them to me in the DMs at oh yeah Pod on Instagram and Twitter. My personal handle is at JRWillDoIt on Instagram and Twitter. We will definitely have another one of these at the end of Season 3B. We have a lot of great stuff on the way. Make sure you leave us those five-star reviews if you've been enjoying the show so far. And check out everything on BroBible.com. We're continuing to partner with BroBible through 2020, so looking forward to all sorts of cool shit from their end. Less than 30, episode 13 of season three, coming to you next Monday. Have a great rest of your week. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 